love about making movies is that you get to work with so many amazing artists, so many amazing folks come together to take an idea that you have and make it come to life. And one of the departments that I've sort of neglected on the podcast so far uh, is the art department. Art department, production design, all that stuff. It's such a huge, huge part of making movies, of shooting projects, of doing photography, or any of that stuff. Uh, it, you have to create these worlds to film, right? You have to create these sets for the actors to walk through. Uh, and that process in itself, when I first started in this business, was very daunting. How do I create this world that doesn't exist? And how can I write stories that take place in locations that I've never been to before? Um, what is the process of finding the materials to, as reference? Um, and how can I do it all myself? I mean, I come from a little bit of an art background. I went to art school and I learned how to figure draw and painting and all that stuff I utilize for um, my storyboard work. But I, I'm not a sculptor, I'm not a set builder. I've spent time working in construction, so I have ideas of how that stuff works. But how do you pull it all together? And I know that there's a lot of young directors listening to the show right now that are in the same boat, where you're like, man, I really wish I could make a movie that takes place on an alien ship, but that must cost millions of dollars, right? Well, that's what today's show is all about. It's all about production design. It's all about production design for independent films. It's all about my history working with an amazing production designer, someone that I came up with early on in my career. And together we both sort of progressed on our own and it's wonderful to come together to make amazing stuff. Um, so you are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? What's new? What's happening? How's life? I am sitting here. It is the hottest day of the summer here in Boston, and I am leaving the AC on. So if the audio sounds strange, it's because I've sound removed the AC from the background. You guys can go fuck yourself if you think I'm going to sweat my ass off in here. <laughs> so deal with it. Uh, maybe I do a really good job cleaning up the audio, and you would have never noticed, but I'm transparent. The show's all about being transparent. And you'll also notice the random sounds of uh, the dude out front trimming the hedges. Because uh, apparently, it doesn't matter what time of day I schedule this episode, it's always going to be loud in the background. So let's embrace it, shall we? Let's pretend like we're, we're designing that intentionally. I want you to feel like you're actually here in Boston with me as we do this. So on today's episode, like I said, production design and my guest today is the amazing Larry Sampson. Now, if you guys have been following my work since I've started, Larry and I started working together back in my photography days when I was shooting those big epic sets for Suicide Girls, which uh, is a whole other episode we can get into. Um, but Larry was helping me design the sets for the Viking shoots, for zombie shoots, all sorts of different stuff. Both Larry and I come from a love of horror. Larry. Uh, is a super horror nerd kid uh, when he grew up. Uh, he watched a lot of that gore stuff that uh, I really didn't even get into. He was into trauma, all that kind of stuff. Chud, 
you know, weird movies. He's probably laughing as I make these references. Um, but uh, we started doing photo stuff together, and then uh, Larry came on board with me when I started to direct music videos. Um, he was the production designer on the infamous Meshuggah Bleed music video. Um, he also uh, did the production design on a bunch of my Grindhouse shorts. So if you're listeners that uh, bought those DVDs over the past couple of weeks, uh, Larry helped me design all the sets for those. And uh, pushing forward, he helped design stuff for 12KM. He wasn't production designer on that, but... Uh, he was a consultant, helped us design the actual cap for the hole, which was really cool. And then him and I went full in on Who's There, and uh, he designed all the stuff for Who's There, including the super creepy music box, which was there. So this is a really great episode. Larry has been uh, working in the art world for years now. Um, he'll give you really great insight into how the business works. And if you're a young uh filmmaker if you're if you want to get into art if you want to get into paing this is a really fun job uh, so i'm super excited to have him on the show today and i want to thank all of you guys that continue to follow me on instagram whether it's at mike petchy on instagram or it's at in love with the process pod that's in love with the process pod there you have uh, been interacting with me sending me ideas this was one of the asks for a show was uh do one on production design and here it is uh, that is the best place to reach out and ask me questions, give me feedback. You can buy props, you can buy DVDs, you can ask me to see 12KM. So I am pretty much interacting with everybody through Instagram. So that's the way to do it. So without further ado, you know the deal. Go grab those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, find a nice dark area. Pour yourself a beer because this is a beer episode. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the new episode of In Love With The Process and the fucking guy out front using the weed lighter. Well, you know, you let me know if you hear any... I'm in... Um so I'm currently in a weird little tiny room in elementary school. Oh, cool. <laughs> because I'm helping the local theater company, um, or this kid theater company, make uh, shrieking eels and um, rodents of unusual size for their version of The Princess Bride. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I had to squeeze in some hours to help. And um, so I'm down here and I said, do you have a room I can do it in? Because I, I can't do it at home because my kids would be all over it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but if you hear kids in the back or something, we know there's a busload of kids are going to show up at some point. But I feel like I'm I'm pretty sheltered. So it's cool. It's cool. It's not like you are capturing little children and leaving them in your basement at your farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, pay no attention to the screaming children. <laughs> All right. Well, let me just get right into it. So, hey, Larry, thanks for being on the show, my man. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going good. This is a, a cool episode for us because you are the first uh, production designer to be on the show. Oh, really? Yes, sir. I guess so. Yeah, technically, yeah, yeah. That's yes. awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a department that I have uh, not been giving enough uh, attention to on the show lately, and it's an incredibly important department for the uh, young filmmakers that are listening. Mm -hmm. 
Um, when we do this stuff, uh, the production designer I see as being part of the the, tri- the trilogy. So it's mm-hmm. or the or the trinity. So it's the director, the DP, and the production designer. And I yeah. feel like we are the guys that uh, go to war together when we make these things. Yeah, totally. Um, so for those uh, listening that don't know, Larry and I have been working together for years. Um, mm-hmm. We we started doing photo shoots back in the day. Oh yeah. Uh, and then we started doing music video stuff. Larry did all the design work on the Meshuggah video, which is wildly popular. I think we're at like 25 million views on that. Oh, that's awesome. It's insane how many people have watched that. Um, and then Larry's also helped me out. You helped me out on 12 cam. You helped design the whole for 12 cam. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you did the production design on who's there as well. Yeah. So it's going to be a good episode for you guys. We'll get a little nerdy about art. Uh, and so thanks for being on with me. Mike. Uh, psyched to be on, man. I love what you've been doing with the show. It's very inspiring. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's cool. I'm glad to finally be on. Uh, I've listened to a bunch and it's funny. You're right. I guess you haven't had a production designer, but I've learned so much from other things that skirt the edge of my department that like, I guess <laughs> I got a sense that you did. Plus, they were with some big, big name people, so I felt like I was kind of small fish compared to the, oh, <laughs> their skill, God. their skills all around. But yeah. Oh, come on, man. You know what it is, is that I always feel like, because I sometimes feel that way, and I know I talk to Kruda, and Kruda sometimes feels that way, where it's just like, you know, we're we're just little indie guys trying to make our shit. Yeah. But then I've spent time on big sets. I've spent time on, uh, like, larger productions here and in Los Angeles, and literally I look at the director and his DP and his production designer, and I'm like, oh, that's me and Larry and Kruda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's it's totally the same shit that we do, just more money, man. Yeah, you know? no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so so the audience, uh, so some of the listeners may not know. So could you give us just sort of a quick rundown on what a production designer does? Sure, sure. Um, so a production designer, I like to consider sort of the artistic hand of the director. Um, at least my approach, and you know, and anything I say here is just my approach. There's everybody's got their different angle. But, um, of course. But a production designer basically facilitates the um, facilitates and develops the look and feel and mood of the film based on the director's um, uh, information and the script and everything. But really, you know, you, you sort of you're there for the director to to hand off stuff. Um, and that's kind of the gist of it. Then from there, you have a department of people that are under you that help uh, facilitate that. And depending on the s- scope of budget and all that is how deep that department goes. But for the most part, you're, you know, you're the leading edge on the look and feel of a thing. And, um, and then depending on who you work with, um, you know, your role, uh, adapts. So like, for instance, with Mike, um, he's a very visual director, so I don't have to like feed him visuals so much as help him problem solve visuals that he wants to get mm-hmm. and offer, um, you know, additional options and, and flesh out the rest of it, you know, so he can continue directing. But some directors aren't as visual and really, you know, lie, rely heavy, heavily on the production designer to build uh, that world for them. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, the, the other sort of um, title, I would say, is, is sort of world builder. Um, you know, you're really setting the tone of everything. Um, yeah, dude. And that's a, that's a big, I mean, 
let's let's talk about that for a second because it's a daunting it's for for me it's a daunting fucking task like when you when you get a script or if you write an idea you put something together most of the time whenever i'm coming up with something it's usually like very specific key points that i'm focused on like i may be really excited about like an action sequence or i may be really excited about the way the character does this so you like i'm usually at first pass like sort of very focused on on what I'm going to remember from the movie, not necessarily any of the specific details. And then when you when you actually are like, okay, cool, this is going to happen. There's money, and then usually when I sit down with you, it's like, oh fuck, we have to design everything. Like we have to go through the process of figuring out like, what do the floors look like? What do the walls look like? Like what is on the tables? Like what is how does how does that work with the outfits? And I think there's two different modes. There's the younger filmmaker sort of panicky mode where you're like, okay, so what the fuck does all this look like? And then over time and then working with someone like you and giving us the time to do so in pre, um, we can then start to like design palettes and sort of manipulate the perception of, of spaces and characters based upon color, based upon contrast, based upon size. All those things become really fucking cool, really fun to do. Um, but I, I just wanted to make sure because you're like world building. It's a fucking deal. Like yeah. it's a big, it's a big fucking deal. Yeah, you know, it, it is. It's a, it's a pretty big job as far as the amount of stuff you got to pull off. Um, but you know, like you said, you as you develop, you learn all the tricks, and you learn that you know sometimes you don't have to build the whole world. You know, uh, sometimes you're just uh, a lot of times, even on big budget movies, people are still just sort of. Um, you're building a world, but you use as much of the existing world as you can uh, to, to save yourself money and time and all that. Um, like, so meaning meaning like if you're going to shoot in some sort of a warehouse or a space, see if you can actually incorporate some of the actual structure into the Yeah. Design. Well, a, a good example would be um, what you did with uh, Who's There, <clears throat> which I don't know if everybody's seen the trailer or anything like that, but um, and what we did, I, guess, I should say, on Who's There, which is that you found a really great location. Um, yeah. that had a lot of production value is you know, production value is always the word we use because it's, it exists and there's a lot there and, and you don't have to, you know, you're, you're, um, you're not building that world from scratch. You know, you're seeing that world and fitting your story into it and sometimes even making adjustments based on the environment, um, to your story just so that it, it clicks with the environment, you know, like, um, like on, on, again, on who's there that, that I mean, I love that location. That was so awesome. Um, oh, yeah. and, yeah. but what we did, if I can reveal is, um, sure. um, you know, it was a big old, huge, huge house and we couldn't afford to, to outfit the whole house, the style that that house would be in. Cause it was a grand old mansion. But what we did do was, um, this, the characters were, were the guy with their house flippers as an architect in a, in a construction guy. So we got to outfit portions of the house really nice and then show that the rest of the house was being renovated by them. I forgot Um, we did that. Yes, we did that. (laughs) (laughs) Which lent itself really well to the story um, because there's a newness as where is this house? You know, what is, who, who are we? Why we, why is this space kind of temporary with plastic here and there? And that, you know, creates its own element of creepiness and, um, and uh, and it was worked out really perfect, I think, for that one. And it's funny because if you had written that, you know, the, in other cases, we might have spent millions of dollars to create that same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, but 
by being flexible and creative, you know, you can really, that's another aspect of production design that you, um, you know, you can really make things work to your advantage and take advantage of what you're, you're given, you know. For sure. For sure. I mean, we're always floating and flexing and you and I do that a lot. Like we'll come up with ideas. And I think now I've gotten to a point where I'm less fixated on specific, unless I have like a really specific idea in mind, I'm usually like, okay, let's see what we get our hands on and let's see what we can make. It's, you know, because we, the budgets aren't going to be huge. So how do we float and flex with this? And then it is about hunting for locations and finding spots that were amazing. Like the same thing with uh, 12 KM, like I wouldn't have been able to make that movie if I didn't have that location, which uh, really, I found when I was doing the Punisher short years prior to that, and the, like, I found that really amazing machine shop downstairs kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just in my brain. I remember when I was first uh, putting together uh, the idea of doing 12KM and, and saying, okay, maybe I'll do this, maybe I won't, I had to sit there and go, okay, how the fuck am I going to do uh, an oil, like an oil fucking drill site? Right. Know, how the fuck am I going to do this? And, and I'd spent some time and I did some hunting and I, I ended up going through like old power plants. I, I got a tour through an old power plant in Salem. I, I saw like some really cool shit. Um, but at the end of the day, it really came down to the fact that I could get my hands on that location for a month right. for free, you know, so that the, the crew could go in there and start to build. Um, and then we sort of built the, that set around what that location provided for us. So uh, it was about just being smart, like you were saying, and using the existing space for that kind of thing, you know? Right. You know, but uh, we've done that too. We've gone the opposite end of the spectrum. Like when we did the Meshuggah video, we had nothing. Remember? It was just a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, that was, was a, yeah. That was like a 20 by 20 room or something like that? Yeah, a little bit bigger, but it was true. It was, we did that in the old, so um, we had, Mike and I shared a space for a tiny bit of time, although Mike never showed up, but <laughs> it was more convenient for Mike to work out of his house at the time, but. <laughs> but it was a cool idea that we were sharing space and uh, yeah. it was an old loft that I lived in. Yeah. An old artist um, community. And we took over the atrium of that place on a weekend to make that video. Um, and yeah, we transferred it, transformed it to, you know, like hellscape, <laughs> but it was, it was like a 30 by 30 room and um, we made it work, but uh, yeah, that was a lot of work because you, you didn't have room to set one thing up and then move to the other. You kind of had to set one thing up, shoot it all, and then take it all down and shoot another thing. So, um, yeah, that, that once again was us flexing too because initially we were location scouting like this old ice cream factory down in South Boston somewhere. Like it was this old, closed, abandoned ice cream factory. And the original treatment on that first Meshuggah video was that we were going to do, I think we were going to do like 12 levels of hell initially, yeah. <laughs> initially, initially. Yeah. Uh, and then they ended up uh, cutting their budget. They had some, they went over on the album art design, you know, typical yeah. music industry kind of baloney where suddenly our budgets cut down to a fourth. And I remember just being like, well, I guess we're doing three stages. Of hell instead of 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, it's funny, too. Uh, if I remember right, that warehouse we looked at was pretty pretty sketchy and, and gnarly. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. It was like owned by an old. It was like owned by a gangster. Yeah, something. it was like a mobster place on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we were like, eh, I don't know if we should be. In this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it, well, one thing I will say about again talking about flexibility. I mean, what really worked to our advantage in that is that we had a lot more control over all the circumstances because we were in our own space in the end. You know, yeah. um, whereas and if you were out in a warehouse somewhere that you rented or you know we had time for. You know, then you have trucks, you have all these logistics, and uh, sometimes those logistics, when you're on a small scale, can really hamper uh, the creative end of things, you know, because you're just, you're stressing about all those real world things, um, and you can't just uh, let things um, flow as they need to, you know, so that we had, we owned that space, and I remember that was like a full weekend, like, you know, start to finish every day all day long. Yeah, you guys but, were hustling. But yeah. at the end, we didn't have to round up the trucks and, you know, drive across town and everything. We could just hang out and have some beers and, and reflect on things. Yeah, dude. Um, so let's go back to what, what it is that you do in general. And I think, so it, it kind of breaks up into a couple of different stages for you, right? So in the beginning, it's sort of the concept stage where you're hanging out with the director. Um, and what's your process? Like you read a script and let's say you're working with someone that isn't a visual uh, artist and you're working with someone that's kind of relying on you a bit. What is your process after reading a script? Um, so yeah, script is first, you know, you read through the script, um, and, uh, absorbing information is the next phase for me. Um, you know, and every project's different. Some projects I have, uh, you know, a deep sense of what's there and some projects, um, I am, you know, starting from scratch. And so, um, these kids just came through and left the door open. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, you know, I read the script and then start to wrap my head around the visuals. And I, I do a lot of sourcing. So I basically go and find tons and tons of reference material, you know, on yeah. the subject. And and that's sort of how I get it. I just really fill my brain with information that's relative to the project. Um, Got it. So that's kind of the first step. Um, and then the next step is, you know, having a conversation with the director, um, and sort of getting a sense of what they're feeling, you know, even before I share the visuals, just to see if there's something there, because again, it's this, you know, I'm there, uh, as a tool for them and I get it, you know, need to sort of find a sense of what kind of a tool I need to be, um, with that and how heavy handed or not heavy handed to be, you know? When you're younger um, and you're a new filmmaker, you know, everybody's, everybody's bursting with ideas and sometimes the ideas you step on each other's toes um, or, or you get sort of too many. And I, so I learned kind of early on to uh, start to hang back a bit and let the information come out of them first and then, and then see how much information they need back from me because, you know, you want to give information and give suggestions, but you also don't want to, um, taint their vision if they don't need it to be tainted, you know? And so it's a, it's a funny thing, uh, you know, cause it's such a creative process and it, but it has such a practical implication because of, you know, you're taking this, these concepts, but, but then bring them to life very physically. So, you know, you need to, um, think about both sides of that as you, as you develop it. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Conceptualizing, uh, by, or sorry, sorry, uh, referencing material, gathering all that information, getting a sense from the director, what they're going for. And then 
comes the conceptualizing part where you start to dig in and develop the look of certain things. And usually, you know, you try and start with the bigger things and work your way in from there. So, you know, for instance, if the set is revolving around an old mansion, you know, you, you focus on that first and, and, you know, you kind of need, it's, you kind of need to build a foundation, um, before you start getting into the smaller parts of, of what's hinging off of that, you know? Right. And so then when you do, so even if you do like a, like a moderately sized production, uh, you will then co- come out of sort of the concept stage with the director and sort of, uh, get your minds aligned. It's the same. I have to do that with you. And I also have to do that with the DP. So yeah. like we, we spend a lot of this time and then we all sort of communicate together because yeah. You know, the DP's job sucks if the production design sucks. Yes. So, like, it's it's like this sort of symbiotic relationship on, like, here's what the color palette's going to be. These are the type of lenses I'm going to shoot with. Is it long lenses? Are they wide lenses? That sort of changes how big your sets are. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, all the way down to the way it's lit. And you're like, okay, well, that's how much detail I have to put into the space or I don't have to put as much detail into that space because you got to use going to use haze. Yeah, use, for sure. Like for low sure. lighting, like that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so then <clears throat> we sort of figure all that crap out together. And that usually on like a short, that usually takes a few weeks, if not like a month ahead of time of just yeah. talking and having conversations. Um, and then uh, you then become basically very similar to what the DP does. You be, then become the general of your own little army, correct? Like yes. you now have your own guys. So, what does what your normal crew look like? What, who do you usually work above? Well, um, again, it depends on scale. Um, and the scale grows, obviously, with the budgets and, and scope of the movie. Um, you know, on small things, like early on in uh, my career and some of the smaller indies, you know, I'd production design and art direct. Um, and mm-hmm. for those who sort of don't know art direction, it's not the same as production design, although in, it's been intermingled throughout history. But uh, at this point, you know, art director, you're kind of the, you're the right hand person of the production designer and your job is a little bit more as foreman, um, for the crew. So your, your job is to, it's creative and make, you do make creative choices, but they're, they're hingent on the, um, the design that has been established by the production mm-hmm. designer. And your job as an art director is to just facilitate that and get, you know, your, your construction guys to the right spot on the right day to build the right things based on the, you know, the drawings and get the, get the painters in the, the you know, the following day. So, um, so it's really the hierarchy of the art department's kind of production designer, art director, and then, um, uh, props master is actually in there too, which is kind of, they're kind of on their own. They're not quite under the direction of the art director because props is sort of, its own thing. It works in conjunction with production design, but it's not as heavily influenced because a lot of times props are, you know, handheld things and sometimes they're just not as heavily art directed. But again, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, if you're doing, you know, a total sci-fi and space thing, everything is being invented and therefore everything is being designed. Um, and that right. steps into the props. So again, you know, it, it changes depending on what the productions are. Um, but you basically have uh, art director, um, props master, then you have um, you have a whole set decorating group, which is you have a lead man who is the person that is in charge of all the set decorators. Um, uh, or sorry, set dressers. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. um, set set dressers. You have a set decorator who is your person that is there and, and telling um, 
the lead man and set dressers where to put stuff. Um, and then you have your scenic painters, um, and they do everything from, you know, full murals to just like dusting up something shiny, you know, or, or things like that. Again, depending on what the feet, what the movie is or what the project is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have prop makers that work under the prop, uh, master who, if, if you're on a sci-fi and you're making special science fiction guns, you know, they're, those are the people that are making those, um, uh, you have carpenters, a whole carpentry department, and they're the ones that, you know, obviously do build outs and things like that. And that could be anything from, you know, building a whole set on a soundstage to, um, you know, doing like a wall plug at a house. So you're in a house and you want to change some of the architecture, but you can't really change the architecture. You'll, you'll go and you'll make a, you know, a piece of wall that is there temporarily or things like that. Um, yeah. So it's funny. It's kind of it's a lot like construction company um, with sort of an artistic <laughs> hand, you know. Um, and so the production designer uh, oversees that lightly. I mean, again, the art director at that point is overseeing a lot of those things, but the the orders and the designs are coming down from the production designer. Um, but on a smaller scale thing, like a lot of the things we did early in our career. Uh, you know, I'd kind of, I'd be the scenic painter as well as a production designer and artist. So, um, you know, and that's kind of how it starts. And, and there's, you know, there's advantages to that too. I mean, when you're younger uh, as a filmmaker, you're so used to doing everything yourself because you've not had the resources to, to, to put people on. So you, you develop those skills and you, you, you do all that stuff yourself. But, but as you get bigger and the demands are bigger and the budgets are bigger, you know, you have less time to even think about doing that stuff. So, um, so you have to really focus on what your job is, um, which is that, again, that design work. It's a, you know, for those listening and those that are interested in getting into the business and especially if you have sort of an artistic background or if you, even if you have like a mechanical background or, uh, a carpentry, a carpentry background, or you're just a, a person that's really good at fixing things and putting things together. Um, the art department is a really amazing part of filmmaking. And it's, I'm always fascinated by it because, uh, I've, I've come to know more about it working with you, Larry, and yeah. sort of doing this stuff over the past couple of years, but it's, it's always interesting because it's a, it's a fucking crew of people. And, yeah. and it's, it's usually the largest crew of folks that are involved with stuff and uh, the most hardworking poor sons of bitches because <laughs> you guys are going, uh, if we have to shoot first thing in the morning and we wrap and the set has to be turned around, they're going super late. Like yeah. you come in, uh, I remember coming in, uh, I think it was on Who's There, and coming in uh, in the morning and, and you guys were just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. you know, full of coffee and just covered, <laughs> covered in dirt. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a big crew and it is a big hustle. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, I consider it one of the more fun, you know, jobs, uh, on set and it's really fun people. I mean, I'll, at this point, you know, most of my friends are art department people cause you spend so much time in the field with them and, yeah. Um, you get to know everybody just like anybody in filmmaking. I mean, I, I guess you'd say all my friends are filmmaker types but um but art department is great because there's just you know it's there's this common goal and there's the invention of it you know i mean um every department has its its pluses and minuses um 
but you know, you camera, you, you have your tools that exist and you, you show up and you capture, um, what is existing there and, you know, using your tools. Sure. Uh, but the art department, every time it's different, even if it's something routine, it's still something different you're doing. And there's always a level of invention and always a level of creativity, um, that comes into it. So it's pretty great. And I do find, uh, a lot of people are drawn to it, art department, you know, people like the creative stuff. And, um, yeah. so it's always a real positive thing. People, you know, nobody shows up to do their art department. Like, Oh, I got it. It's not like an office job. We know where you're choosing to do that. Cause you have to, it's usually a sacrifice, uh, to live a bit more creatively. And it's always, I'm always incredibly inspired by the way that you put your crews together and you run your crews and you find like these really talented folks that are, uh, creating and building and painting amazing things like just just a just a scenic painter just someone that comes in and takes an object that is brand new and makes it feel like it's a, it's been around for 50 years like that magic that happens with just a brush and some paint and, and maybe some sandpaper yeah. is, is so is so really cool to watch yeah. and when you look at film there are so many different tricks that we utilize to make it feel as real as possible yeah like we go through the process with sound design, like we may sound design something to feel like uh, it weighs, you know, 120 pounds where it's literally carved out of foam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same thing happens with, uh, you know, painting and, and production design. Like you'll look at a set or you'll look at it in a space and be like, holy shit, like how did they build, uh, you know, this metallic spaceship you yeah, know and yeah. and you walk on the set in in the light and lit perfectly it looks that way and then you sort of go around the corner and it's barely <laughs> held up yeah, yeah. it's it's such a fun it's like this weird theme parky carnivaly uh lifestyle which i think is a, a, a lot of fun to experience yeah yeah it is yeah carnival is you know those are both good uh, references it is it really is it's such an inventive thing and yeah, in the end, you just need um, you know a surface to carry light with uh, with a, with a tone to it is really you know what it comes down to, and it's true. I mean, um, you know, the one thing I will say about you said you know production design is hard and it's daunting, and it can, it can be, but you know, it does fall short of you. You're inventing a world, but you're inventing the surface of a world. So like uh, you know, structurally you know, behind that surface, sometimes there's nothing, you know? So, you, and one thing I, I have architecture friends and they, they're jealous because I get to do all the really good stuff. I don't have to like worry about where the plumbing's going and stuff you know? I'm not, or structurally, you know, and code ain't codes and yada, yada. I just build a room that looks cool. Um, you know, instead of spending years and making sure that, uh, that you know, this thing is going to survive. And so there is a lot of, it, it's, it, there's a freedom to that. And, um, and, you know, and again, if you're limited on budget, I mean, if you kind of keep those elements in mind, um, sometimes it saves you. And I've built rooms out of paper before because I had no money and, you know, wow. I literally had like 30 bucks to build a room. So you go and you paint paper and you hang it from the ceiling and, you know, as long as nobody's touching the walls, you know, you're good. <laughs> so, so, uh, so there's always a way. And, um, and, and, that again adds to that fun inventiveness because you know if, if you have all the money you need and everything at your disposal then your job is just make sure you get it right but if you don't have the money and the expectations disposal um you know you're always anything you invent is helping the cause and that's that's real thrilling you know 
Well, yeah, and, and you're known in the city as like the guy that can build anything at this point. I mean, you're you get almost all the artwork <laughs> that comes that comes through here. I guess and it's, I get well, I get a lot. I'm certainly um, you know I mean I'm lucky. Boston was was good for me, uh, Boston and Massachusetts, because we don't have the infrastructure of an LA um, or even in New York where. Uh, it goes real deep and especially LA, um, goes deep yeah. and there's just many warehouses and stores of things that, you, you know, if you want to say one morning that by tomorrow afternoon, I need, um, you know, a Greek Coliseum, uh, you could probably go to a prop house and find all the stuff you need and have it for the next day. But around here, um, you do have to invent, uh, just about everything. We have a couple of good prop houses now, and we've certainly over the past 10 years, a lot has developed around here. But uh, but still, it's not the same kind of infrastructure. So I do, it's that big fish, small pond thing. I do get I do get some good calls. Um, there is a group of us around town, and everybody's got their specialty. But I I, I come from a sculpture, painting, illustration kind of background, and mm-hmm. and a love of sci-fi and horror. So I, I steered myself towards more invented worlds um, very early on, and therefore um, I, I am kind of known for that kind of stuff, which is great for me. I love, I love doing that stuff. So I love how it trickles down for you because you and I started doing really weird sort of stuff, like yeah. photo shoot stuff and then sci-fi horror stuff. Yeah. And then you have done other horror films. You've done other sci-fi uh, pictures and then you get hired uh, to go work for companies like Hasbro and create like these tiny miniature little sci-fi yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty fun. I, I like to think I've come full circle with that kind of stuff. Cause, um, yeah, I was a, you know, I was a kid. Uh, I used to watch a ton of TV. Um, and this is, uh, eighties, I'd say it was my era of TV watching, um, sure. playing with star Wars figures and watching TV and drawing pictures. That's kind of what I did with my whole childhood. And, uh, just last <laughs> week I finished a, a new star Wars thing for Hasbro where I was taking their toys and making these little sets for their toys. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, look at me. I've, I've come around full circle, but, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, it's, you know, uh, what's fun about that kind of work is it's just me and it's really come down to just me as an artist and one or two hands that help me because um, it's so small. Um, so I get to be the whole crew, you know, everything, the, the production designer, art director, carpenter, scenic guy, all that stuff, um, which is just creatively, it's really fun because uh you know, I can manage people at this point in my life and I do, and I like that part of it too, but there's a lot of, um, real world stresses that come with that, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and all those real world stresses, you know, chink at the, uh, at the creative process. Um, and when you don't have those, um, you know, you can kind of get into it. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with, with those guys and doing a lot of stuff for the, the, the toy company there too. And really getting into miniatures again, it's, it's really fun. Um, to be able to do that stuff. Um, yeah. Miniatures is so cool, dude. Yeah. Miniatures, yeah. miniatures in general, like, you know, you start looking at uh, some of the movies that I know you love too. You start going back and looking at Blade Runner. Oh, you look yeah, at like yeah. all these films, like even Inception had a ton of miniatures yeah. in it and, and stuff that you just don't even realize is miniature stuff. And you and I have always been very practically based. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the stuff that we do, has like no real CG in it. We don't really do that stuff because it's more fun. I always find that it's more fun to see the kind of shit that you put together, but also uh, the reactions that you get on set. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Are are a lot more fun, you know? Yeah, well, it's a lot more tangible and um, 
you know, and yeah, I mean, I'm a big believer of just, you know, using the best tool for what you need, but not using tools because they're tool, you know, like, you know, CGI stuff is great for all the things we can do, but they really did some awesome stuff with miniatures in the past and they still do. And there's no reason to not do them. You know, they have their own, their own quality. And, um, it is amazing. You know, if you don't have a person in the frame for reference and you have the right lens, you know, what, what's the difference between having a giant building, you know, or you can, you can do these things that you, um, you know, you can't afford to pull off. And, and even when, you know, the funny thing about the CGI stuff too, you know, cause I work with a lot of that and, um, alongside a lot of that kind of stuff and it's expensive too you know like you still it's still cheaper to make a model um, yeah. and do some stuff with it and it's still almost more effective you know um, I feel like I think the CGI stuff you know has its place um, but like as far as like miniatures I mean you can do some cool stuff and you have a lot of people that are psyched to make cool small stuff and spend time with tiny little brushes doing tiny little great things and um and a lot of times that comes through uh if it you can whatever subtleties there are the audience recognizes those in comparison to uh, some cgi stuff that you see so right about now is the perfect time to give a little love to our sponsors the people that help make this show happen Every time I come back to Puget Systems, because I love these guys, they support the show. I use their PCs with everything I cut, everything I edit, um, and you should too. So if you're an independent filmmaker, photographer, if you're uh, studying to be a production designer and you got to use CAD, if you need to build a new computer, if that computer that you've had for the past eight years is not fast enough to run the new software, you got to look for something new. Um, and you could try to go buy a Mac, but eh, you might want to take out a payment plan because those things are so goddamn expensive right now. Um, and there's no reason why you can't do the same thing with a PC. PCs run the same programs. They run at the same speed, if not faster, depending upon how you build it out. And they're a lot more cost effective and upgradable, which is great. Um, you could build your own PC. I used to do that when I was younger. Um, but then you have to go through the whole process of buying all the different parts, testing the little parts, and trying to figure out information on benchmark tests and beta testing and all that sort of stuff. Uh, if you're just a filmmaker and you want to open up a box and turn it on and get going, I highly suggest you check out PugetSystems.com. There on their website, you can uh, choose uh, your machine or your base package based upon the software you use. So if you're using Premiere, click on Premiere, it'll give you a base package. Uh, to build off of. Now, the thing with Puget is that they love to build custom systems. So talk to these guys, interact with these guys, tell them what you're doing, tell them what you're building, tell them what your budget is, and they will help build you a machine that works the best for what your needs are. Think about that. Building a machine that works for what your needs are as opposed to buying a pre-made machine and hopefully it works, right? That's why I love these guys. Not to mention the fact that their customer service is real people interacting with you so like if you have a problem you can contact them they're going to interact it's not this apple care waiting line kind of baloney that exists out there um, not trash talking apples i'm just saying there's a better option out there if you want custom built machines if you want it to be affordable check them out pugetsystems.com also check out the landscapers out front of my house using the weed whackers right now perfect 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 timing i love it <laughs> 
Next up, the dudes from Rule Boston Camera. If you're an independent filmmaker and you're having so much trouble keeping up with the trends, if you're trying to keep up with all this new gear, every year a new camera comes out, every year a new codec comes out, new light gear, all this stuff, just trying to keep up with that, you would go literally broke, be completely in debt, and you wouldn't be able to pay it all off. Keep your overhead down, keep your overhead low, and I highly suggest you form a great relationship with your local rental company. And if you're here on the East Coast, if you're above New York, Rule Boston Camera is the place to go. Uh, they have all the newest, latest, and greatest gear that you can get your hands on and you can test. They train you how to use these things. They love independent filmmakers. They love forming new accounts with people that are creating. Uh, so definitely check them out. Go to rule.com, check them out. And if you're not in the New England area, uh, go find your local rental house. Support local rental houses. Uh, and you know what? Realistically, here's why a local rental house is great. You can rent stuff from online rental places and they have their purpose. Um, but if you're on set and the gear fails and it always fails, like maybe you didn't get a piece of equipment that you needed. Maybe the lens got stuck to the camera. Something happens. If you have a local rental house like Rule, they will literally send out a tech with a replacement part to the set. So keep that in mind next time you're putting together your gear and your packages. Also up, our good buddies over at Quasar Science. Uh, one of the best advancements in technology in our industry over the past five years has been with lights. LED lighting has changed the face of film and movies and television, straight up. The fact that you don't need to go out and buy gels anymore, the fact that you can program any color of the rainbow into like these really amazing LED units. Um, you can program these units, they can strobe, they can do police effects, they can do fire effects and TV flickering, all that stuff. Quasar makes these amazing tubes, bicolored tubes, um, that uh, will do any, like you can either get the bicolored tubes or you can get the rainbow LEDs, which will do any color of the rainbow. Um, they really cool lights, like they don't get hot as opposed to like a lot of the old tungsten units where they're hot to touch, you burn your hands when you go to move it after it's on. It also heats up the set. These lights stay very cool. You could daisy chain them all together. Uh, you can program all sorts of really cool effects through them. I have nothing but great things to say about Quasar lights. Uh, go check out quasarscience.com. Also, uh, if you want to support the show, there's a couple ways to do so. One of the best ways to support the show right now, if you are looking to get a new credit card, right? Now, for, let me just stop here and say, if you're the type of person that doesn't know how to control your finances, if you don't pay your bills, if you're always finding yourself in debt, then don't fucking do this, okay? Because I'm not going to tell you to go get a credit card. But if you're someone that's starting a new company, if you're someone that uh, is tired of having to deal with the fact that your clients aren't paying you for 60 days, uh, and instead of taking money out of your rent account to be able to pay for that gear, why not put it on a credit card? And be smart about the card that you pick. I chose Capital One Venture Cards for a couple of reasons. One, if you go with the Venture Card, um, you'll get, if you spend $3,000 within the first three months, you'll get 50,000 miles on that, which equates to like 500 bucks. $500 towards travel, which is huge, 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 right? Um, and then you can also get uh, the Venture, cap, what is it, the Venture One card, which if you spend $1,000 the first three months, you will get uh, 2,000 miles, which is $200 on it. The difference between the two cards, Venture card, there's a $95 annual fee. The, the uh, Venture One card, there is no annual fee, uh, which is fantastic. 
Um, but be smart about how you pick your credit cards. And if you guys are looking for a new card that comes with really great benefits, really cool benefits on travel and travel points, definitely check out Capital One Venture. And you can do so by clicking the link in our Instagram bio, in the In Love With The Process POD bio. You can also find it at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Scroll down, click on one of the Venture cards and sign up. And everybody that actually signs up for a card there, we get cash, we get decent cash from these guys. So it's the best way to contribute to the show without reaching into your own wallet and getting some perks. Be smart about it. Gene and I did this and it's helping, literally it's paying for me to go out and house hunt this week in Los Angeles. So think about that. Uh, also, another way to support the show is by signing up for a free trial at audible.com. If you haven't done so already, can't have already done this. If you haven't already signed up for an audible trial, do so by going to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I will put a link below on this so that you just click on it. Uh, go sign up. You'll get 30 days free. You'll get a free book and uh, you'll love it. I guarantee you, you'll be listening to audiobooks all the time. If you like podcasts, you'll love audiobooks. Um, but if you don't like it and you have to cancel within those first 30 days, we still get paid. So go do it. Best way to get some loot towards the show. Really appreciate it. And finally, if you just want to donate, just go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you'll find a PayPal donation button. You can throw us 10 bucks. Simple. Easy peasy. So let's get back to it. Let's see uh, what other cool magic tricks Larry's going to let us know about. things that you did for me with 12 cam is that you actually introduced me to suja yeah, yeah. suja suja came on and she was a superhero on that uh-huh. she was she what was she on that job she was basically she was the art, art director. director yeah she was an art director yeah that. yeah yeah she was an art director but again you know in smaller things um you fill in whatever gaps are, are missing you know the hierarchy adjusts um so you know i think you had Travis on was, was doing productions on that one for you, but I think he had to leave for some of it. So she had to step in on certain parts of it. And, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Suja love Suja. If she's listening, she's awesome. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, yeah uh, you know, that's my thing is, you know, finding people that are really good, really psyched and they just make my life easier and more pleasant because I can, you know, I'm always needing to lean on somebody and I can't always handle my workload. Um, and so it's having somebody you can trust with you is, is hugely important. Um, the same way, you know, for, for a director having a great DP, it's kind of, it's one of those things where you can, you know, you rely on their vision, know them knowing what your vision is, that sort of thing. And with me too, and I try and cultivate, um, some trustworthy people. So even if I can't be there physically to do something, they can be there. And yeah, Suj is one of those people that's in my life. That's awesome that way. And, um, she does a great job with that stuff. Um, yeah, no, I remember specifically when we were doing 12 cam and I had to do, we broke that shoot up into like a bunch of different stages where yeah. before the shoot, I went and I hung out with the biochemist and we did all that, uh, macro photography and the fluids and the ferrofluids and the brains oh, and yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and that was like two or three days, two days. And then we were on set for like or something like that if yeah. i remember correctly yeah. which was at the actual place 
And then we did the studio day, which was the dark space, the sort of mm-hmm. hellish space. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was a lot of fun. And we hung out with uh, um, Rob Fitz. Oh, yeah, did yeah, all Rob, the, yeah. The, yeah, all like the gore makeup stuff for us. Um, and then I had to do a bunch of inserts. So at, after that, I had to do like a lot of these macro sort of inserts of like shooting uh, a lot of the technology working and, and the, the bulbs turning on and all that kind of shit. But I had to figure out how the fuck I was going to go down into this hole. Oh, yeah. Like, how do we get down into this space? And I remember having this conversation and being like, how the fuck? Like, I, I don't want to do CGI. I can't afford to do good. C- the problem with CGI is that if you can't afford good CGI, it looks like shit. Yeah, right. Um, and one of the things that I really liked about 12KM was that we sort of embraced that. And we were like, hey, look, there are happy accidents that happen when the stuff physically exists. So let's build things and let's, cause it, we can kind of do a schlocky job putting it together, mm-hmm. but I can, I can light it really cool. Yeah. I can shoot it in certain ways yep. uh, and it'll look really cool. And I remember I was talking to Suja and I'm like, how the fuck do we get down in the hole? And, and, and uh, we're like, let's build a miniature. And when you think miniatures, like if you're listening at home, when I used to think miniatures, you think like micro machine level, you think like these tiny little sets or these tiny little things, but miniatures are just scaled down versions of, of a set. Like yeah. a miniature could be like a half size yeah, or, yeah. Or, or quarter size. And I remember Suji went and got one of those, um, those, uh, those, those cement forms. So like tube, if you're, yeah. yeah, like a tube. So if like you're building a deck or something, you dig a hole, you throw the tube down in the ground and then you, uh, cement in like, you know, whatever lumber that you're going to build off of. She took one of those and basically painted the whole inside and art directed the inside to feel like a bored out piece of earth. Yeah. Uh, And then we uh, laid it out vertically uh, on stands and then ran a cable down tightly vertically and then started to send a little DSLR down into the hole. Yeah. And when you cut it into the sequence, you think it's... Yeah, no, it looks great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a great one. I love, yeah. See, that kind of stuff, I love that kind of, that MacGyver stuff, you know, you do to figure those things out is so satisfying. And again, you know, you're, you're working hard, so usually the results are come out that way. It's funny because, you, like you said about scale, uh, I could tell you a funny little story. Um, sure. So uh, I, I art directed Super Troopers 2. It was uh, mm-hmm. something some people might have seen. It's a pretty fun, silly movie. But um <laughs> But we had a bus uh, in the opening sequence. There's a bus, and that was its own thing. But um, but they they go off a cliff in the in the bus in the thing. Um, it's been out for a while, so sorry to spoil it. But um, <laughs> I've seen it. It's good. But it's uh, good. so we shot it uh, all this stuff for the intro one year, and it was partially to raise money to shoot the rest of the movie later on. And uh, so then we got back to shooting the, the rest of the movie later on, and they're like, "Oh, geez, we need to fill this insert spot." what happens is we have the bus look like it's going to drive through the guardrail and go off the cliff. Um, and then we have the, the scene where it's flying through the air going off the cliff, which is CGI, but we have nothing to, to sort of bridge that gap. So we need the bus to crash through a fence. We just need like two seconds of a bus crashing through a fence. <laughs> and they told me this when I had like a full load of the whole movie that I'm, you know, doing which is like there's not a spare dollar or minute you know and i'm like oh my god how am i do this i'm gonna rent a bus what am i gonna do and i you know because we had to do it originally i had three versions of the bus i rented one bus and like a peter pan style bus and i wrapped the whole thing to look like this tour bus and then then i had a real fancy tour bus that i had to wrap part of it because we were going in and out of 
So it was, a, you know, it was a big money Megillah kind of thing. And they were giving me no money and basically no time. So I basically had a Sunday morning to pull this off. And, and I think I had about a, you know, 500 bucks or something ridiculous. <laughs> it was crazy. And I was stressing and trying to think about it during the week. And, and then I came up with a thought about scale, like you just said. And I was like, wait a second. That doesn't have to be a bus. It could be something smaller, like a van, you know, the van that I decorate. So, um, so I was like, I'll just build a smaller fence and get a van and I'll wrap the front edge of the van and then we'll crash through the fence with the van. Uh, so everybody signed off on that and, um, and that was good. But then the van, uh, our, our transportation guy was having trouble with vans and the van showed up, didn't work. And, and, and I had like two days to get this whole thing right. So, uh, our, our, my, um, my carpenter, my lead uh, construction guy, was like, "Hey, man, you can use my pickup. It's a beat up old pickup. Let's do it." So, so we built the front quarter of a scaled down bus on the front <laughs> of his pickup truck, <laughs> out of wood and sauna tubes and like just some junk. I spray painted his front hubcap, um, and then I wrapped uh, the rest of that contraption in the vinyl that we had used on the original van, so the colors matched and everything. Yeah, and then we did it basically. It was like we added like an hour to the shoot day. It was a Sunday, I think. We went to this abandoned parking lot that was behind the spot we were already shooting, and we just bolted this fake fence we made into the ground and um, and and drove the truck through. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> one take, and it worked awesome. It looked so good. And in the movie, you'd never even think about it. You'd never even <laughs> comprehend all the stuff that went into that little scene. Um, and nor did a lot of the people that were with me, they were just like, what the heck are you doing? This is good. This is like, I remember the AD being like really skeptical that it was going to work and just thinking <laughs> I was going to fail. Um, and it worked. We went through it once and the director's like, great, that's it. Let's go start our day. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so again, it was like, you know, sometimes you're forced to make decisions and forced to find a solution. And, and then what you do, that's just like another tool in your in your toolbox of like, oh, okay, that can be done, you know. And you might never have to figure that problem out again, but 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 you have that awareness of how to do it. It's so funny that that two seconds or whatever it is, probably fifteen frames. Yeah, it wasn't even. It probably caused, wasn't even two seconds. Yeah, caused you how much of a nightmare? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's true. So many of my stresses are never even thought of by the viewing people are definitely never thought of by, you know, anybody except for the crew people around me. Yeah. It's just, I don't think people, and it's good that they don't. Yeah. It's good that the audience doesn't really notice these things, but when you start to get into this business, I think the biggest shock is the amount of labor that, that is required to go into just doing frames, just literally doing little, little tiny fucking moments uh, of stuff. And then when you're a director or an editor, and you're you're going into that edit room, so you have two different stages, at least I do. I have two different stages where it's like, okay, let's go to war together, we're gonna go on set, we're gonna know all these details. I'm gonna know the fact that you had to fucking build this truck, you have to do all this stuff, and the nightmare that you went through that. And then you go into the edit room and you start cutting scenes for the story, and you're like, we gotta cut that out, it's gotta go. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so it's, it's this really wild, fascinating, sort of heartbreaking thing. And honestly, that sort of comes back to what the show's about. Because if you are the type of person that gets so caught up in your own little details, your own little world, and you become so precious about certain things, and you're like, oh, 
I spent fucking hours on this shit. It's like when you watch like really bad horror gore movies and they leave it on the effect shots way too long. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and you're yeah. just like, there's the fucking hose pumping it out of the dude's chest. Yeah. You know, it, it's because they're too precious with it. Yeah. And they spend so much the, money on it. They don't want to like, they want to like get the most out of that they can. Yeah. And, and, and I think the trick to this business is understanding that it isn't a precious thing and understanding that you're going to spend all this time and energy and, and stress on something that may or may not end up in the movie. Uh, but the trick is to actually really fall in love with, once again, really fall in love with the process of making these things because there's something so cool about the camaraderie. There's something so cool about that troubleshooting mode. Like I started to chuckle when you told that story <laughs> because we've been in that position multiple times yeah. where it's like, what the fuck do we do? Yeah. You know? And, and it's magic at that point because between the heads involved, between all the people that are involved with this, this dilemma, we usually, I'd say 98% of the time come up with something that is so cool and that works really well for, for barely any kind of cash. And, uh, it's better. Yeah. Like it actually ends up design. Like someone asked me a long time ago, like, how do you set, how do you design your style? Like, how do you control your style? Like as a photographer, as a director, you have a very specific style. It's like, yeah, okay. But you never really, like, I never really set out and you and I've talked about this. I've never really set out and going, Larry, this needs to be my style. You know, like, right. like how do we do this? Our style is generally made from those moments. It's from those, like, how do we fix this? And how do I, how do I build this room? Or how do I have a hole in the ground? Or how do I do this? And through that uh, invention that happens, uh, and then the, the look of that invention, it becomes this, this thing that people are like, how the fuck did you ever come up with that idea? And it's like, well, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that, that, that was us trying to fix a problem, right. you know? Right. Um, and then you, we become known for that. You become known for that sense of style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, those moments of invention um, are what, you know, um, they, they, they don't start by being designed. They, they happen. Um, and then, yeah, they become part of that fabric that makes the whole thing up. And you wouldn't know you even had to do that before you get started on the project, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. The other thing about style, though, and, and that whole thing, it gets back to what you said about a symbiotic relationship, you know. And um, I mean, one thing for uh, as a production designer, um, I talked about is having a relationship with the director, and you know that part of it's pretty important. I mean, again, if there's big money involved, you know, you, a production designer gets assigned to the job and they do their thing, and but um, but when you're young and you're starting, that camaraderie and teamwork and, and hashing those things out together is so huge and important and so helpful, you know, um, because you're learning together as you do it, you know, and you're solving those problems together as you do it. When you're, when you're bigger and you know, there's money involved, you know, you, you hope you have that same camaraderie, but the money is really making sure you get it right and figure those problems out together and you throw more money at it. But, um, on, you know, things like music videos and indies and all those kind of things that you come up on in your career, um, you know, those relationships, uh, um, help that stuff happen sort of naturally. Yeah, for sure. I just talked about this on the episode I recorded the other day. Um, it, it's also this really, like I learned over time how, how to become more of a listener 
and less of a of a of a talker. Yeah. I think when it comes to directing, um, and you know, I think a lot of it, at least for me, when I was younger, the problem with directing, the problem with any of these key positions, whether you're a DP or a production designer, or your director, whatever it is. Um, you can't practice these things unless you convince a whole lot of things to happen. Yeah. So, like, there's there's no way to practice it. Mm -hmm. um, you can practice little elements of it. You can practice, like, playing with cameras. You can practice, like, blocking and working with actors. You can practice all that stuff. But the actual task of being a director on a set with your 45, 50, uh, hundreds of people, yeah. you know, as you start to get into it, there's no practice for that. No. And uh, when you're younger, you have to sort of con your way into it. Yeah. And th there's this whole, you have to have this confidence. I have to have confidence to convince you to fucking do it. You know what I mean? And like, you have to have confidence to be able to convince your crew to do that sort of thing. And I think what I learned when I was younger is that it, a lot of insecurity that I had in the position, I would cover up with just bold confidence on borderline arrogance <laughs> where you're just sort of sitting there like oh, i can fucking do this i'm gonna kill it i'm gonna be fucking great with it yeah and there's a level of that that you need to do if you're <laughs> for the investors yeah. there's a level of that that you need to do to get the money or to get the people involved with it but i learned as i got older that you really have to let that go and you have to just really collaborate and like you were saying before the time and the 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 years that you and i have spent problem solving and troubleshooting things uh, a, I know how you work. You know how I work. But also, B, uh, we've I've learned from you, which is which is such a wonderful thing about our business, mm -hmm. is that we get to hang out with these creatives. And if you have the right mindset, you'll physically learn from from that person. So that when I plan out something later, like you said before, after doing the bus thing. It's like, I kind of know how to do this now, yeah. you know? So like, if I'm going to write a scene or if I'm going to put something together in a script that I need to come up with like a really cool effect, I could pencil that in and yeah. just go like, you know, it was very easy for us to just shut the lights off and turn on a smoke machine here. And you know, that's how I'll save some money here and we'll just right. do that in this space. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I'm off on this, ta this little tangent, <laughs> but. Well, yeah, but no, you're, you're totally right though. I mean, and. Again, those relationships, I, you know, I taught for a little bit and one of the things I would tell prospective um, uh, production design students was like, you know, attach yourself to somebody who inspires you and that you can work with sort of going up the ladder. Like you and I uh, formed a neat relationship in that way and that we could sort of follow each other as our careers came up together. And um and that's great because, you know, you're at the same level of learning. You're not, um, you're not in above your head and, and just constantly like not achieving where you need to go. Um, but at the same time, you're not, um, so far beyond somebody you're working with that you just, you know, they're, they can't keep up with you, you know? And, and so it's that whole team, um, mentality, that whole team building sort of finding the right people and doing that. That's a very effective uh, an important part of the, that learning process and, um, for for getting there. And, and again, you know, certain things that are huge decisions for you early in your career, you know, just become something you you do over coffee on some random day, 
later on in your life during production. It's just another another problem to solve that you have some you know ammo backed up on how you might solve it, and you get your heads together, and it's not as big of a problem. You know, things you stress about when you're first in your career become such a joke later on in your career. That, you know. <laughs> it's very true, yeah, man. It's very yeah. true. Well, just looking at where we're clocking in right now, we're at about uh, an hour, yeah. coming up on an hour. Yeah. Um, what I'd love to do is just sort of wrap up this segment, Larry, and then afterwards, I just want to talk for a little bit about who's there, and I'm going to do a separate piece for who's there. So okay. those of you listening, if I don't cut this out, there'll be something interesting. There'll be a little extras that we're going to do oh, cool. with who's there. Nice. Um, so um, th- that being said, dude, uh, it's been a, 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 like you and I could have like three or four podcasts just to sort of tackle the art world and, and to tackle oh, yeah. this stuff. There's so much involved. Yeah. Um, if, if you're a younger uh, filmmaker uh, or if you're someone that's trying to get in the business, I constantly tell folks to PA because PAing is such a great way to learn the different departments and yep. learn that stuff. Yep. If you're, if you're going to be an art PA, like what can art PAs expect? Cool. Um, well, um, depends if it's a union or a non-union shoot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you're on a union shoot, don't expect much as an RPA. Uh, just watch and absorb, absorb all you can. Uh, cause RPAing, um, on union stuff, it's harder cause, um, for all the union rules, but, but, um, as an RPA, what's great about, um, being an art PA, um, in art department in general is that you can jump in with pretty minimal skills. Um, you just kind of need a love for the art department. And usually if you're going to be an RPA, um, you get assigned some random task that's artistic. And then if you, um, at least this is how it works with me. If you, you know, if I find that you have a skill set in there, um, and that assignment is easy, then you jump to the next one, you know, and it's, but art is, is so intuitive. I mean, I'm a big believer that everybody is born creative, you know, and, and just life and circumstance, you know, you know, beats it out of you or enhances it. But, um, but everybody has that, you know, if you, if you were to come into filmmaking and you want to be, um, you know, a gaffer or something like that, you know, that, there's, there's some real tools you're going to need and some real, you know, specific stuff you gotta, you gotta learn before you can just jump right in. But in the art department, you know, it could be any random thing. You could be sanding some piece of something you could be putting stickers on something or, you know, it could be any number of weird things. Um, so, you know, for people that want to get in the art department, it's, it, I feel like it's a little bit easier to get into the art department because you really just have to have a little bit of a creative um, impulse and want need for being creative. And then, you know, from there, whatever your skill set is will determine sort of how, how you start, start to work your way up within it. Um, but, um, but that's, you know, that's kind of, I, I, you throw yourself into it and be attentive. And I mean, PAing is great, um, way to get yourself in the door, but then from there, you gotta be, uh, you know, you gotta show your skills as just a, uh, self-made person. I mean, one thing about our business that is great, um, is that everybody in it that succeeds is completely, um, under their own control. You know, you have the ability to fail or you have the ability to, to flourish all under your own control. It's people can help you along the way, but, but the people above you recognize uh, a good work ethic and mm-hmm. um, a good focus and that you're in it for the right reasons, you know? And I think that those kind of things get you really far. And, um, and art departments get so many different 
layers to it that there's a, is a lot of space for it. So, you know, I tend to take on a lot of folks over time because of that, because people want to get in the art department. And, and, and I love finding people that are talented and psyched. And over my career, I've found many and have tons of, you know, I'm really lucky to have all these talented people that I've helped get their foot in the door and, and then see them progress from there. So, um, so yeah, that's what I would say, you know, about that. And then again, if you're, if you're an aspiring production designer, uh, attach yourself to somebody who's doing something. I mean, one thing that's great about production design is I don't, you know, you're out there like you are out chasing the dream, Mike, and trying to mm -hmm. get movies made and doing all that hard leg work, you know, and for me, <laughs> I just got to be really good at what I'm doing and wait for that, you know, wait for you to call me. <laughs> so, so, you know, attach yourself to, to people that you see are going to do what you want to do and, and be there for them, you know, and that's, and eventually those, you know, hopefully those people succeed and they, and they bring you along with them and, and need your skills, you know, and again, I, that's kind of where I've arrived at my career. And I, I feel like that's one of the things I've always tried to do. And maybe one thing that helped me out. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was sort of uh, dipping our toes into the art department world. Uh, I hope you learned a little bit about what a production designer does. Uh, Larry's a very special case for this. Larry is a hands-on indie guy at heart. Uh, he's an amazing sculptor. Um, so he gets, he gets his hands dirty. And if you are a local uh, Boston area uh, filmmaker and you want to get into the art department I would definitely reach out to Larry and talk to him you could probably get on on a PA work and find your way up he's always looking for new talent I'll put his contact information underneath this episode um, but I hope you guys liked it I a big portion of how my films look the way they look is because of Larry I'll say that right now very lucky to have found the guy very fortunate to have worked with him um, and uh and all the other great art people that I've met working with him. Um, so I, I really have such a great respect for that department. And I hope we've conveyed just a little bit of it on this episode. We'll do more. We'll figure it out. Um, so thanks for listening to the show, everybody. Like I said, continue to support us. Go sign up. Follow us on Instagram at Mike Petchy or in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P-O-D. Uh, you can go follow us, uh, go visit our website at inlovewiththeprocess.com. There you can check out our sponsors. You can watch some video clips. All sorts of different things uh, are available to you. Um, and yeah, I just want to say thanks for listening to the show. I hope it doesn't sound too shitty as far as the audio quality is concerned. I'll try my best to clean it up. Uh, hopefully I do my job right. You guys like it. Didn't even sound bad. Why are you bitching about the fucking audio quality all the time? What the hell is wrong with this guy? All right, guys. I love you. I'll see you later. Bye.